60 mobile app on your Alexa powered smart speaker and on TuneIn, iHeart, and on Odyssey. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Long Cold Winter is not just the title of the second studio album from glam metal band Cinderella. It's also, thank you very much. Mike hey, Scott's that was impressed. really good. I think you've been working on that all morning. Mike Scott's impressed. Yes. No, it just came to me, Long Cold Winter, because that's what Europe is in for. Yeah. Uh, and it won't be as melodic as Cinderella's offering. I, I love exchanges like this. We just don't get enough of them because people that are talking sense don't get platformed by the left. <laughs> but this this astrophysicist and if you didn't know he was an astrophysicist, if you took a look, one look at Pierce Corbin, the founder of Weather Action, you would know he's an astrophysicist because you would think astrophysicist or 17th century composer because okay. that's the kind of vibe he gives off. All right. This is what he had to say on Russia Today about climate change against the backdrop of this climate-induced or, or climate policy-induced economic crisis in the West. Russia's deadly wildfires, the smog-filled cities and poor harvest are being seen by some environmentalists as signs of climate change. Let's now cross live to London to discuss this with Piers Corbyn. He's an astrophysicist and also founder of Weather Action. Uh, Good to have you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us live there in London. So what we are seeing here is a drastic change in climate, aren't we? Well, climate has always been changing, uh, but this has nothing to do with man. In fact, we predicted that there would be extreme heat in uh, East Europe and Russia this uh, summer. And uh, it's caused by a certain circulation pattern. CO2 does not cause circulation patterns. What causes those is a combination of solar activity and uh, the state of the, the phases of the moon. But hang on, Piers, uh, wait, wait, fact, excuse me, just a minute. You say this isn't caused by man. How come they're reporting this heat wave is recognized as the worst in the thousand years of recorded history in well, Russia? Well, and surely well, of course, man has got something to do with this, hasn't he? No. Nothing to do with it. The only, the only connection is man is here at the same time as the sun and the moon are doing things. Um, you see, a very similar situation happened about 132 years ago, where there was the same sun, earth, lunar, magnetic states. Um, there was uh, heat waves in Russia, and there were also floods in Pakistan as now. And in the previous few years, there was also uh, floods in the English summers, uh, also 132 years ago. So these things are dictated by solar activity in the moon. They're nothing to do with mankind and those who say that are just trying to make money out but, of but, but, but are we not going to see this <laughs> are we not going to see this again next year, the year on? I mean it's only well, it's quite recent that that's a very interesting question. These things do come in bursts and we're working on that very question, those forecasts. We did say there would be a series of wet summers in England, for example, uh, which we've had. Now will there be a series of these very hot hot summers in in Russia, we don't know. We have to work on that. But I assure you, it's nothing to do with carbon dioxide. And if you stop stop driving around Moscow, it won't affect next summer one job. Well, how come then so many climate change scientists uh, disagree with you (laughs) and they get so much support for what they say? They're on a gravy train, for heaven's sake. They're They're on the gravy train, for heaven's sake. Moneymaker, yeah. Can't you figure it out? Can't you see this for what it is? They're on the gravy train, for heaven's sake, which is why they can 
create hysteria and implode Western economies incredibly. Despite the fact that between 2015 and 2021, China's emissions increased by 11%. U.S. has actually reduced its emissions by 6%. Meanwhile, according to the nonprofit Global Energy Monitor, uh, as of July of this year, China had some 258 coal fire power stations proposed, permitted, or under construction. If completed, they would generate more than 60% of the world's total coal capacity under development. Global Energy Monitor also reports that as of July, China had 174 new coal mines or coal mine expansions proposed, permitted, or under construction that when complete would produce 596 million metric tons per year. China is also investing in hydro, wind, solar, but uh, energy demand continues to grow. Coal accounted for nearly 64%, two-thirds of China's power generation in 2021. As the Wall Street Journal editorial boat opines, while the Biden administration does all it can to restrict U.S. fossil fuels, no matter the economic harm, Beijing is charging ahead with coal imports, coal mining, and coal power to become the world's leading the, the world's leading economy. They, the Chinese, must marvel at the good fortune in having rivals who are so self-destructive. Indeed, self the self-destructive West. There's a book series there in there somewhere. James Perry, a senior VP and partner at Arbor Research, joins us now. Jim, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Good morning. Well, we're seeing uh, the price at the pump uh, decline a bit from the summer highs because of decreased demand. Uh, um, but uh, despite, I guess, according to the president, having zero inflation as of uh, July, the August number says we still have inflation and it's actually ticked up. So not only was he you know, misstating the case, obviously, uh, last month with the July number, now we see August increasing over July, uh, the August number, August over August, 8.3%. And so we have not reached peak inflation like many had hoped we had as of July. That is correct. Um, And that's the message you get from Wall Street every day. J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs and those guys have been talking about uh, uh, peak inflation and that the Fed is correct and transitory wins. And um, um, I guess you have to recognize that uh, you have to consider the source. These guys sell risk assets, so that's what they're going to say. And um, so that informs what uh, the mystics at the Fed do in eight days. How uh, does that change? We go from 75 basis points to uh, to, uh, to to something a bit higher. Or do we? Do, do they build in more rate hikes between now and the end of the year? What's the reaction going to be? Right. Um, to your point, the Fed will hike rates uh, by 75 basis points uh, on the 21st. Um, and they need to do that to show some consistency. If they change things, it'll change. But the market is fully priced in a 75 basis point hike. It's almost 100% as of this number today. And interestingly, about this number today, you know, if you look at the S&P futures before uh, the data this morning, the S&P was in the market was priced to go up 30 bucks uh, before the number. Now it's down 90. Right. So the market is surprised here. I'm not sure why 
um, this is really all about the Fed. Um, the very simple fact is, you know, the Federal Reserve Bank has been responsible for the growth in the stock market and the corporate bond market and the real estate market since the pandemic. The Fed's balance sheet has doubled in size to $9 trillion. That's 40% of GDP. If that didn't happen, the stock market and bond market and the real estate market and all these other leveraged markets would not be here. And now QE, right, is over. And that put downward pressure on rates and increased liquidity. And now QE, or sorry, QT is going to do the reverse, right? Treasury supply is going to increase and interest rates are going to increase. And the Fed is not the big buyer. Who's going to take the place of the Fed, right? It's not, they're not there anymore. It's the hedge funds. They're not there. Banks, they're not there. Who is going to be the buyer and who's going to stop interest rates from going up? So QT, right, is ambitious, is as ambitious as it is uncertain. Yeah, and, and it so, comes at a time when rates are already rising quickly. And, and so what, what is the, the market reaction is just going to be to press the advantage when it looks like they're sticking the landing and uh, – uh, and, and retrench when it doesn't look like they're sticking the landing and just sort of go back and forth and hope that the, the net net at some indeterminate point next year is that we're back to a low inflationary environment where the Fed can can re-ramp up their asset purchases? Is that basically the uh, yeah, thinking? I, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we've had some bullish moves here through the summer, you know, and I think even the most recent one in the last sort of four or five days, the S&P was up sort of, 250 points since that sort of last Thursday. Uh, the dollar went down. That helps the S&P. Um, the S&P 500 gets about 25% of their earnings in Europe, right? So when the dollar's going up, it hurts them. So when the dollar goes down, uh, that has helped. I think um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, a major pivot point in this war. The Russians are retreating and uh, Maybe that takes a little pressure off of uh, food and fuel, uh, and maybe that gives you a peak inflationary story. Um, obviously, that's the hopes and dreams part of the equation. The reality is that you know you've got a recession in China, the property market there is imploding. That's going to be worse than the 0809 mortgage debacle here, and Europe's in a recession with inflation. UK inflation is supposed to be 22 percent this year. Yeah. Right? So maybe this whole change of uh, the monarchy and all that sort of good feeling has kind of put sort of those things, you know, sort of on the back burner for a while. But the fact is, you're going to have an inflationary recession, a stagflationary recession globally for the first time in history, right? It's in Asia, it's in Europe, it's here, it's South America, it's Africa, it's everywhere. But people who are living paycheck to paycheck really want to know when it's going to end. I mean, at the grocery store right now, a blow for bread, this is on sale. Two for eight dollars. Well, right. I mean, granted, it's multi-grain bread, but I mean, every time every time I go to the store, it's, it's you're in, you don't walk out of there without spending at least a hundred, you know, to three hundred dollars. Yeah, I know. I mean, soaring oh, prices uh, for food and fuel are hitting the poor the hardest and the middle class people the hardest. I mean, it's it's. I don't see how people can can continue to live without uh, just ceasing their spending altogether because the costs are rising. Disposable income at the household level is negative. 
So but, savings are down and credit card debt is soaring. But wait, but what you're yeah, saying, I mean, so to Amy's question of when is it going to end, what, what, what I hear you saying, and I don't mean to be doomsday about this, but what I hear you saying is it's, in America, it, it's barely even begun. Right. Well, you know, the great Milton Friedman once said that inflation is always a monetary phenomenon, and that's been true. And the fact is that what has caused the monetary phenomena is the government. So the government has created this monetary phenomena, and they have piled on top of it a regulatory framework which increases costs at the producer level for food, for example. Every processing plant in the country, cheese, yogurt, bread, packaged meat, anything you can buy is regulated by the government. And those regulations under COVID created a situation where the workforce and the productivity of those places had to be reduced by about 50% because of COVID regulations. They're still in place, right? This is why bread's expensive, Amy. This is why everything you buy at the grocery store is expensive. The producers cannot get those goods to market at the same level that they did three years ago. And that's not going to change until the government rolls back regulation. And that, that includes food and fuel. And just to, to, I know we're short on time here, but, you know, Biden has been saying that um, the war in Ukraine was the reason there's oil price increases. Well, okay, maybe, but let's be real here. A barrel of oil was 30 bucks when Biden took office, and it was 90 before Russia crossed the Ukrainian border. Right. It went up to 130 for a little while, and now it's back down to 90. So the war effect on oil is over. The question is, what are the regulatory authorities at the governmental level doing about 90 bucks uh, a barrel of oil? How do you get it down to 30? Only one way. You have to roll back regulations. You have to roll back regulations on food and fuel. Yeah, great point. Uh, one uh, last question. I saw Goldman Sachs announce layoffs yesterday, which um, normally is not bad news to me uh, as not being a fan, particularly a big fan of big banks. But um, in, in terms of what it perhaps indicates as a canary in the coal mine about burgeoning unemployment, that's the question that I have. Right. Um Goldman Sachs, like J.P. Morgan, are the two strongest firms in finance in the world. And because it's Goldman Sachs, it's a bellwether and it makes a front page of the newspaper. So for that reason, it's important. Um, I think underlying that issue is the simple fact that investor sentiment is so bearish. Bank of America came out with an investor sentiment survey yesterday. 52% of equity investors are underweight their equity and 62% are overweight in cash. This is a fundamentally and patently bearish sentiment from the investor base. And I think if Goldman Sachs is kind of the machine that keeps money flowing from savers into, into riskier ventures, they recognize that the sentiment level at investors is down and they've, they've been overstaffed for a while. And I think so is J.P. Morgan, and so is every bank. The financial services system only works well as long as savings get transferred into people who are borrowers, yeah. and that is going to slow down. And so, so yeah. That so, just one other point then on this. Chris Whalen, we talked to yesterday, investment banker out of New York. Uh, he mentioned this too, and I think this is sort of an underappreciated aspect of it. 
but just sort of IPOs all but disappearing and IPOs as a indicator of dynamism as you know of the creative gales of capitalism to borrow from Schumpeter and you know not seeing any activity in that space or very little activity and uh, what that portends as well right i mean you know when you get fed policy that is restrictive you reduce liquidity in the system when you re- reduce liquidity in the system you get higher volatility when you get higher volatility that means that investors require a higher risk premium to take on risk assets, right? You're not going to buy Peloton at the price you did three years ago, right? No. no chance. So the fact is, when you get volatility, when you get liquidity dropping, risk premiums go higher and investment sentiment toward taking risk is curtailed because their sentiment is, gee, I don't want to put saved money into a risky asset when I might need that saved money to uh, get through this period of high prices for the bread at the grocery store, two for eight, you know? He is James Perry, Senior VP and Partner at Arbor Research. Jim, thanks as always. Appreciate it. You bet, Dan. Thank you very much. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. A storm.